And now, Lord, we've come to the place in this service where we open the book of life, the bread of heaven, and we examine its words and we listen to its message. For some today, it will be medicine to make their heart merry. For some, it will be motivation to move to deeper depths and higher heights. For some, it will be a pricking of their heart and a convicting or a correcting voice. For others, it will be a light to illuminate a way. But God, I pray that in Jesus' name, we won't leave here like we came. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Those of you who have heard my preaching for a number of years know that I do a lot of preaching from Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapter 2. There is so much gospel in that uh, power-packed chapter 2. It's like Romans chapter 8 about the uh, struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, that is a powerful chapter. These chapters that are so, so powerful that tell us all about if you were going to memorize Scripture, Ephesians 2 should be a whole lot of what you uh, uh, remember and what you memorize. It's uh, good stuff, good stuff. Ephesians chapter 2 begins with, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin, amongst whom also we all had our, in our hearts and our minds, we were the children of wrath, even as others. But God, somebody say, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, hath raised us up together with Christ, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding richness of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace through faith are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that ye should walk in them. And then in verse 11, it begins, Wherefore remember. Can anybody remember? Wherefore remember that it, ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. He's writing to Corinthian people, uh, people who are members of the church at Corinth, telling, or other Ephesus, and he's telling them that all in Asia Minor are, are Gentiles in the flesh. And they are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh that is made by hands. In other words, he's differentiating between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians are they that are of the circumcision. And the uncircumcision is these members in Asia Minor who have never done the rite of circumcision. They've never gone through that, that ceremonial act in order to have all that God has for them. And Paul is arguing here that circumcision is not necessary for relationship with God. That that's the old covenant and that old covenant and the old law has been done away with. And now there is a new relationship. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't Jews. And strangers from the covenants of promise. All the promises that God had made to the Jewish people. That you were a stranger to those. And you were estranged, alienated, and he said, without hope and without God in the world. But 13th verse says, but now. Remember how it was, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, he is our peace. 
who hath made both of you one. Jew and Gentile have been made one. And Jesus, through his sacrificial offering at Calvary's cross, has broken down. Somebody say broken down. Broken down that middle wall of partition that was between us. Did you believe that everybody, every nationality, every creed, every color, every race, the wall has been torn down? I said the wall has been torn down. When Jesus did what he did at Calvary, praise God, he tore down that wall of only Jews and then said all people, everybody, whosoever will, come and drink from the fountain of the water of life freely. He says, everybody that is a thirst, come and drink of this water. He said to the, the Samaritan woman, he said, if you drink of this water that I give you, you will never ever thirst again. And she said, give me this water that I thirst no more. Praise God, it changed her life. God has broken down the middle wall of partition that is between nationalities. The grace of God, the blood of Jesus, the saving power of the Lord Jesus is available to everybody, every creed, every nation, every people, every language, every tongue is welcome at the cross of Calvary. Can you say amen for that? Amen, amen for that. He has torn down that middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his own flesh the ill will, the enmity, even the law of commandments that's contained in those written ordinances that are against us according to Colossians. For to make in himself of twain one new man. One new man. Not a man that is of any other nationality. We all are of one new man. When the Lord saves you, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. No matter if you're African, if you're South African, if you're South American, if you're Haitian, if you're Polynesian, whatever you are, you have become one man with the Lord Jesus Christ. So making us one man. The twain have become one man. Hallelujah. And that process, so making peace. Here's a beautiful word. And that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God. That he might reconcile, that he might become the propitiation for our sin. That he might become that bridge, that bridges the chasm that separates man from God. That he, he might reconcile both unto God in one body. And that's the body of the Lord Jesus at the cross having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Oh, blessed be God. One of the great provisions of the salvific work of Christ is the peace of God. The peace of God. One of the great blessings that God told Moses to say over the people. He said, say to them, say to unto Aaron and unto his sons, tell them on this wise shall ye bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face 
to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. What a wonderful blessing it is of God to have this peace that passes all understanding. Can you say thank God for the peace that the Lord gives? Peace. How can we have peace, Pastor? Well, number one, peace comes through the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 119, 165, great peace. Somebody say great peace. Not just ordinary peace. Not just nominal peace. Not just run-of-the-mill peace, but great peace. That means superabounding peace. Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing, nothing shall offend them. In these days of everybody being offended, in these days of watch every word you say, because someone might get offended. In these days of walking on eggshells, worrying, the Bible said if people love the Word of God, nothing shall offend them. If you love, is it possible to love the Word of God? Well, you better love the Word of God. Hey, that's the most wonderful thing that can happen is preaching the Word of God teaching the Word of God, singing the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, quoting the Word of God. Why? Because I will make those people that love the Word of God, I will make them at peace and nothing will offend them. <laughs> Folks that love to go to church and love to sit and hear the Word of God have a great blessing and God said, that is great peace. Brother, if you love to hear the Word of God preached and sung and taught, then the Bible said, great peace have they that love the Word of God, and nothing shall offend them. Praise God. Well, if you don't have peace and you're all the time offended, you ought to put a sign around your neck that says, I hate the Word of God. Wow, because if you love the Word of God, great peace and no offense. Nothing tears you out of your frame. Nothing causes you to have a blow up. Nothing causes you to have a come apart. Nothing causes you to say and do and act in ways that are offensive. Amen? Why? Because if you love the Word of God, you got great peace. And he said, and nothing shall offend you. You don't run around all the time looking for somebody to hurt your feelings. You're secure in who you are in Jesus. If you've got great peace and you're a child of God, if you're a child of God and you've got great peace, then what do you care what somebody else says about you? He said, nothing shall offend you. Nothing's going to get you all bent out of shape. Wow. Did you know if we're supposed to have this great peace, then why in the world are Christians some of the most rambunctious folks that you could ever be around? 
Talk about fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering. Hey, that all is packaged in that one thing of peace. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you peace, but not the peace that the world leaves. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to leave you my peace. If Jesus has given you his peace, then why are you so often offended? Why does everything and, and every little nuance just kind of, you just blow up over it? My Lord, hey, let that peace rule. The Bible said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it rule all over that fear and anxiety. Let the peace of God take authority over all of that fear and anxiety. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Is the peace of God so important to you that it means more than getting offended? What is that book? I think you talked to me about it. It's by John Bevere. It says, The Secret Weapon of Satan. What did you say it was, Cindy? Offense. The bait of Satan is being offended. Wow. Well, if that's his bait that he uses to get us in the trap, then we need to have great peace and love the Word of God, and then nothing will offend us. Boy, that's good stuff, isn't it? Great peace have they that love the Word of God. It's been well said if you prick the Word of God at any passage, in any book, it will bleed the blood of Jesus. His pre-incarnate name was the Word of God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And when we're giving that prophecy concerning the birth, Isaiah called him what? Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Glory to God. You mean peace has a royalty about it? There's a kingdom about it? It's a, got a king and it's got a prince and Jesus is the prince and Jesus is the son of God who is the king of all the earth? You're telling me that Jesus and his kingdom is all about peace? He is called the prince of peace? Glory to God. What a powerful thing that is, that our Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He lived an exemplary life, died a sacrificial death, and he rose again in power and majesty to defeat all the powers of darkness, and he won for every one of us an eternal victory through his death at Calvary's cross. Colossians 1 and 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth and things in heaven. That the death of Jesus on the cross won for us an everlasting peace. He hath made peace for us, reconciling the world unto himself. And the most amazing thing about that peace of God is that we can share it with the Lord Jesus. That his peace is ours. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I you, but let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. If you've got great peace, then you don't have to be afraid. And he said, don't ever let fear rule in your heart. Great peace. Second thing about peace is that peace comes through obedience. Hebrews 12 and 12, 
Wherefore lift up those hands that hang down and those feeble knees. Lord Jerry Smith, we ought to have a Ph.D. on feeble knees, shouldn't we? What is he describing? He's describing spiritually. What do you do with your hands? You work. You cook. You drive. You plow. They're activity. But when activity is paused because of some enablement, when you're not able to lift up those hands and work, there's no desire there to utilize the strength that is in your hands to do and be and act. And those hands are just hanging limp beside you. What that means is when you become paralyzed by the things that are going on around you, those hands that just hang at your side, that aren't busy doing work. And he says in the Word of God, lift up those hands. Why should I lift up my hands that are hanging down? Because my help comes from God. I will lift up mine eyes. Don't look down. Don't let them hang down. Lift them up. Because when you praise and you lift up those hands to God, you're connecting with all that God is. Praise His name. Lift up those hands and those feeble knees, those members of your body that make you mobile, ambulatory. But when your knees don't want to go and they're feeble, you just sit in a chair because you don't want to fool with the knees. And he said, lift up those hands, those hands that hang down and Get up and stretch those feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Don't wobble, but make good straight paths for your feet. Amen. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Let it be healed. Somebody say healed. Let it be healed. And then he gives us a great scripture. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no person will ever see God. Are you getting the, the strength of that verse? Without holiness, no man shall see God. Now we used to be so bound to a way of thinking that that meant there's a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And that if you don't measure up to either of those two lists, you're not going to heaven. And what the list does is it creates inspectors. Because anytime you got a law you got to have some law enforcement. you got to have somebody that makes sure you do it. If the law is 55, you'll see a car sitting on the side of the road with a light on top of it that's a blue light special. And it will inform you that you're not keeping the law. What that does in congregations, it creates attitudes and I've, I've I've had people actually tell me you think I enjoy 
wearing these old drab clothes? You think I enjoy looking like a pale, dead woman? My Lord, God don't want to make you that. You think I enjoy that? My Lord, if that is as problematic and as hurtful and as harmful as that is, my Lord, any kind of salvation that is based upon works is hurtful to the body of Christ. Any salvation that depends upon performance with a list. That's a, that's a strenuous thing. Paul said the law could never take away sin. Could never take it away. It could only serve as a schoolmaster to bring you to Jesus. It could point out the things that you needed to do right, but it had no way of offering you any redemption. The law wouldn't give you an answer. The law just gave you a list. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Honor your mom and daddy. Don't steal from anybody. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous. And the result of that list is this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What the law did is produce a bunch of transgressors. What the law did, it estranged us from God. Separated. God said, your sins have separated you and me. God says, no sin can dwell in his presence. So what we were, Natalie, was outcast with no way to fellowship with him. Can you imagine that? But God. Who is rich in mercy? Oh, I'm so glad he's rich in mercy. Because, Andrew, I depend on that mercy every day of my life. I thank God, Mark, that he's a merciful God. But God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and resurrected us, raised us up together with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places. He gave us peace. He made a way that our transgressions could be done away with. Well, what a great, great idea and notion that is. Peace I leave with you. Peace, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That, that scripture over in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the very God of peace. You mean God is a God of peace? He's not a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. But his greatest nature is love. And he's rich in mercy and, hallelujah, he is a God of peace. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Holy, totally, every bit of you, perfectly, so that nothing is lacking. 
Glory to God. How does God sanctify me? The Bible said he sanctifies us by the washing of water and by the word. Washing of water and by the word. Washing of water is something we can do. I hope you did that or you'll be stinking where you're sitting there and folks will get offended. You better use some water to do some cleansing before you come in here. That little old stuff they call deodorant. <laughs> Sanctify you by the washing of water. That's us. And by the word. That's something that's spiritual. In other words, sanctification is a joint effort between you and God to reach a place where you have peace. Oh, you missed that. Reconciliation is when God does his part through the word of God and you do your part and when both of these entities do their part, the result is peace. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, why is that therefore, therefore? Because being as God's done his part, and now you've done your part, and you got peace. Now Romans 5 and 1 says this, Therefore, having peace with God, having justified by faith, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, peace comes. Peace comes. When you get that justified status with God. And what is that, Pastor? It's just as if I'd never done it. Just as if I had never done it. You get that thing put behind you. That obedience. Being what God wants you to be. Moreover, thou knowest when David was on his deathbed, his last words, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, to Abner and the son of Ner and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew and he shed the blood of war in a time of peace. He shed the blood of war in a time of peace. There's your sermon title, Brother Don. War and Peace. Shedding blood, killing in a time of peace. Well, I guess that's called murder. Mr. Goodchance, say amen. To commit a war crime during a time of peace is nothing more than murder. Listen to what Paul, or rather David said, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. There's peace that you can have through a trusting mind. Do you have a trusting mind or a distrusting mind? You see, to have a trusting mind, it means you, you trust that God works all things for good to them that love him. To have a trusting mind you believe that God is in charge. To have a trusting mind, you believe that God will not return you uh, evil for good, but God will return you good for evil. You believe that God will be trusted. God can be trusted. 
that you trust His grace, you trust His blood, you trust His promises, you trust His Word. You're a trusting heart. Are you a trusting heart or are you a distrusting heart? Do you question everything? Well, I know that's what the Bible says, but. Well, I know she, uh, she's a pretty good, pretty good Christian, I guess, but, but. Are you trusting or are you distrusting? I want to tell you, if you're distrusting, you don't have much peace. But if you're trusting, I said if you're trusting, Isaiah 26 and 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. Because. What does that say, because there? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, if he has a mind that stays on thee, because. Because he trusts. God. I'm trusting God that no evil, evil shall come nigh our dwelling. I'm trusting God that his hand of protection is going to keep us from evil. I'm trusting God that his eyes upon the righteous and that he watches over us. I'm trusting God that his ear is cut to our cry. I'm trusting God that his hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. I'm trusting God that he's going to do what his word says he'll do. I believe that God is going to keep his word. He's going to keep on being God. Yes, he is. And I trust him. Anybody in this house trust him? I trust him. Holler it out to him. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my business. I trust you with my health. I trust you, God. My life is in your hands. It's in your hands. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 13 and 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. That doesn't mean be spotless and without any flaw. It means be complete and mature. Be of good comfort. Well, you're sitting in the most comfortable chair I could provide. But I want to tell you, I hope your soul has some comfort this morning. There are a lot of people whose soul is trepidatious and fearful and frightened and frustrated. But I'm glad my soul has comfort right now. I'm glad I feel comfort in my sanctified soul. Be of good comfort. Be of good cheer. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. You mean my God joins love and peace together? He put them together, Brother Ford. He said the God of love and the God of peace shall be with you. He's going to be with you if you be mature if you grow up in spirit and grow up in grace and grow up in the Word of God, he says, be of good comfort and live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Whoa! If you got a mind that is stayed upon God and you got a trust that trusts the Lord, you got a peace from a God who said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. Psalm 37 and 37, mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of an upright man is peace. To have peace. Let me go to the last page. To have peace. Everybody want peace? Well, some of you do, some of you don't. 
We'll just endure these last few minutes and you can go. Number one, to have peace, quit fighting battles that aren't yours. I would say a large part of your worry is trying to straighten everybody else out. You will never, ever have peace until you stop trying to control and manipulate other people. Hmm. If you do, if you keep on trying to fight battles that are not yours, you won't have energy enough to fight the battle that are yours. You'll waste all of your energy on battles that aren't yours and not have energy to fight the battles that are yours. You don't need to look for drama. You don't need to hunt for something about somebody else. You don't need to get on Facebook and give somebody in New Hampshire advice about how to solve their problem. You don't need to look for drama in somebody you don't even know and try to manipulate and control them to do what you say. The Bible says, sufficient for this day is the trouble thereof. What does that mean? It means you've got enough drama in your own life that if you'll just take care of your own drama and let everybody else take care of theirs. Hmm. Quit fighting battles that aren't yours. I can't run the White House. I got enough trouble trying to run my house. I don't need to fight with somebody that I don't see and don't know and get all riled up and say mean, hateful things because they won't agree with me. And then come out of that experience and come to the breakfast table. Well, you burned the eggs this morning and the biscuits is burned too. If I threw one at the wall, it'd probably break a window light out. You got all riled up over something that somebody you don't know, something you can't control, and you're so manipulative and controlling you want to control that, and you get so mad that you can't that you take it out on people that you say you love. And then come in here and try to tell me you got peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. You see, I, I, I've got folks at my house that are called, IRS calls them dependents. <laughs> dependents. There's a reason 
why they call them dependents. And the most obvious reason is they're dependent. They need somebody that will lead and somebody that will care and somebody that will love, somebody that will sacrifice if need be, somebody that will be diligent and consistent, somebody that will be committed because if I don't, there may come a time when they won't be dependents, they'll be defendants. You see, to have peace in our heart, to have peace in our families and peace in our homes. If I want peace, I need to take care of things at my house. Listen, if you're trying to control other people, you're fighting the wrong battle. And you'll never have peace. You'll never have peace. Come on, Connor, so they'll think I'm quitting. When the Bible says strive to be at peace, it lets us know that another person's peace is not my responsibility. Strive. What's that scripture say, Don? It's talking to me. Me. Strive to be at peace with everybody else. Then their peace is their problem. My peace is my problem. So my objective then becomes strive to be at peace with Don. Don's objective is strive to be at peace with me. I can't control Don's peace. I can only control my peace. And the effort is me to strive. But what if he don't strive, Pastor? Well, that's him. And I don't need to get all bent out of shape because he won't strive to be at peace with me. Even though I'm striving hard to be at peace with him. Wow. Peace is the responsibility of everyone himself. Wow. That means it's, it's up to me. You know, some believers just thrive on conflict and drama. There are churches that get a spirit of that in them, and buddy, it's hard to ever get it out. Usually you have to have a long time. I can't change another person's heart. I wish I could, but I can't. I can't change people's heart. I can't save a soul. I can't bring peace to all people, but I can't force anyone to make peace with God. You know, there are people that go around and they'll say, here's, 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 a, here's a greeting. Hey, how you doing? Uh, what do you think about uh, Gretchen? Well, I think she's a great lady. Well, I just want to tell you this. Now, they're not really worried about what you think. They're wanting you to open the door so they can tell you what they think. And their objective is when they get through, you think what they think. Uh, what do you think about uh, Brother Ford? Well, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, 
well, I was talking to so-and-so the other day, and they said such a, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You asked me. I didn't give you permission to tell me. You see, there are, are manipulative, controlling people that have real issues and real problems that if you let them, they'll upset you and you won't have any peace because they'll put things in your heart and mind, true or not, that will make you become distrusting. And if you're distrusting, you won't have any peace. The only way you can have peace is be trusting. Come on, somebody. So, you know, here's a good answer. What do you think about Susan? Well, I don't. What do you think about uh, Randall Wilkinson? Well, I don't. It's hard for somebody to take and manipulate when you say, I don't. I don't ever think about it. What do you think about the praise theme, that music they're doing? I don't. What do, what do you mean? I like it. I shout, I dance, I clap hands, I lift up holy hands. What are you getting at? Well, you know, no, I don't want to know. I don't. You see, as long as human beings are involved in this thing called church, there will always be disturbers of the peace. I said disturbers of the peace. There always, always will be. And listen, the finest one of us the greatest one of us, if you've nitpicked long enough, you'll find something you can fuss about. Now, I married a woman that's the most perfect woman in the whole wide world. She has no flaws. She's the most beautiful woman I know. She's never made a mistake. There's two of them. You married one too? Hey, praise God. If I wanted to, brother, I could stir up the biggest stink you've ever seen in your life within the next 10 minutes. I can have a perfectly calm little woman sitting up there in Maine right now. I can have her yelling and screaming at me over the phone. I have lived with her long enough to know the buttons to push. And don't act like you don't know what the button is with your mate either. You know just exactly. You know how to get your licks in. Because you've disturbed the peace a lot of times. Come on! But then the Bible says to us, strive to be at peace as much as lieth within you. That means a lot of times... You just say, okay. Because everything doesn't go the way you want it to go 100% of the time. But when she walks out in that dress she bought on the sale over there and steps out, how does this look? Oh, that's great. I love that. That looks really nice on you. You really think so? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. That's great. 
Because I got this attitude, suits you, suits me. That's my way of being at peace. Suits you, suits me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Strive to be at peace. Stand with me all over the house. P.T. Barnum said, always leave them laughing. If you can laugh about your marriage, it's in pretty good shape. <clears throat> Praise God. I wish that there was something, Faye, that they marketed that you could buy that would give you peace. I wish you could have that peace that you lived in that house built upon the rock, that the storms come and the rains fall and the floods rise. I wish you could have that peace that could just sit right there while all that's going on and say, praise God, I, I'm in good, I'm fine. Lightning's flashing, thunder's rolling, water's rising, neighbor's house just washed away. But if you built your house on a rock, Winds may blow, flood, flood waters may rise, but with a peace, you can sit right there in the midst of the storm and say, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Well, I've got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Well, I've got a feeling, come on, sing it, everything's going to be all right, be all right, be all right be all right. My Bible told me everything's gonna be all right. Whoa, my Bible told me everything's gonna be all right. Well, my Bible told me everything's gonna be all right. Be all right, be all right, be all right. And somebody outside church, when you go home today, says, why did they preach about it at church? They said, told me everything's going to be all right. <laughs> told me everything's going to be all right. <laughs> told me everything's going to be all right. Told me everything's going to be all right. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the unction for the Holy One to preach the Word of God. Thank you for ears that listen with their heart and mind. And we just have that peace today, oh God, that's going to go with us. You said, and the God of peace and the God of love will be with you. Thank you, God, that you are with us, that you're for us, you're in us, you're around us, you're above us, you're before us, you're behind us. And I thank you for that, God. And we have the peace of knowing today that all of our sins you have thrown behind your back. And now, oh Lord, you've said, I'm going to stay with you. God, stay with us through this pandemic. Stay with us, God, through this economic crisis. Stay with us and help our leaders and help our, our people that are in positions to make decisions. Help them, O oh Lord, to make good decisions that people will be blessed in this country. You said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven. And you said you would forgive our sin and you would cleanse our land. We ask you to do that for us today. Dismiss us by your grace and by your power and love. In Jesus' name, amen.